Welcome to Care Act Conversations with Cascada. In this podcast, we provide advice and insight on adult social care law. We talk through what should happen and what goes wrong when people need care and support and how you can uphold your rights. Cascada is an online specialist advice charity. Our mission is to help people get their full legal rights to care and support services and to support defensible decision-making by the public sector. Visit our website, cascadr.org.uk and support our work by using the big yellow button to donate or go straight to cascada.org.uk forward slash donate. Hello, I'm Belinda Schwer. Um, I'm the founder and chief executive of Cascada, and we've put these podcasts together to raise awareness of some of the ways in which law and legal principle can make a real difference for people who are trying to get their rights out of local authorities at the moment, those councils themselves being extremely cash-strapped. I hope that you'll enjoy what we have to say today. And I'm Sarah Wilcox. I am the senior caseworker at Cascada, so I deal with the referrals coming in and triage them to the um, the team. And I'm also the CEO of a very small charity called Pathways Through Dementia. And I'm Jerry Nasowska, and I'm one of the caseworkers for Cascada. I'm a social worker by background. So welcome back to Care Act Conversations. And this episode, we're going to be talking about plugging away at the gap, um, by which we mean the gaps in council's approach to their social work decision-making functions, social care decision-making functions. Um, These are the gaps that affect adults and carers where um, there's a difference between what the law says should happen and what actually does happen. Um, And it's Cascada's mission to try and put these things right and to raise awareness through legal advice and information. And the reason we're talking about plugging away at the gap is because it's the theme for our walk for access to justice this year. The walk's happening on the 13th of June and in the lead up, we're sharing information about Care Act gaps and some of the legal remedies to overcome these. Belinda and I are doing the walk under the broader banner of the London Legal Support Trust, whose main aim is the promotion of access to justice. It's going to be 10 kilometres and Cascada supports the objective every year and we combine that with raising money for Cascada. This year, we're aiming for £12,000 as we're recovering from the impact of COVID on all advice charities. It all goes into our work to offer free advice and legal support to people who are trying to get their care needs met. So what is it that's wrong with the justice landscape? Why do we even need to fundraise so that people's legal rights are upheld? And what about legal aid, you may well ask? Well, um, Social care and social work are in meltdown, but so is the legal aid um, sector, it has to be said. Access Social Care's report on community care legal pathways last year found the following. A staggering increase in people not getting community care entitlements due to lack of resources in the sector. And they mean the legal advice sector, not just social care itself. They found also a massive decrease in community care legal help matter starts. Legal help is a level of legal aid that legal aid contracted solicitors offer 
to people with less than £8,000 worth of savings. And it's the kind of work that is necessary to even begin to unpick a person's legal problem. That massive decrease in matter starts is due to the combination of legal aid being poorly paid, the complexity and the time-consuming nature of the work, particularly at the beginning, when a very distressed member of the public is trying to explain the surreal experience they've had trying to get a council to give them even an assessment, the burnout that that creates amongst quite poorly paid staff, and the consequential withering away of community care law as a field in which people can even see a future, and thus a a reason for doing all the learning about it, which is not easy. And it's for those very reasons that I started the charity in 2018 with a model for some free work, yes, our triage service, but some chargeable work as well. And it may well sound old-fashioned, but it seems perfectly obvious to me that nobody is going to offer specialist legal advice for free or forever if they can't get paid to do it somehow. Grants are the obvious way forwards, but an organisation's dependency on grants creates an industry in and of itself and takes away from the time you've got available to do the legal analysis. So we're fundraising and talking about some of the legal gaps relating to the CARE Act, and there are four themes. We'll be sharing information on four days leading up to the walk on the 13th of June. So we're looking at the care plan gap, the care services gap, the carers support gap, and today we're focusing on the assessment gap, which is where all the trouble starts. The essence of that problem is that without an assessment of an individual who has presented to a local authority for help, without an assessment that identifies all of their needs and actually calls them out as difficulties or deficits or inabilities, then the person's global extent of need is never actively recorded. And that makes it hugely difficult to identify the extent to which any given council is funding the meeting of needs properly from the money it gets from central government for all local government functions. It makes it difficult to identify the extent to which it is even getting funding from central government for the range of needs that that specific council's area is generating for whatever reason. There is a lot of dispute about the funding formula for different parts of the country, not just a levelling up issue, but in terms of the comparisons between um, posh London boroughs and extremely deprived areas of the country, where there is uh, a greater likelihood that people will need more money spent on care and support. And all of that adds up to a difficulty for the commissioners who work in councils to figure out how they and the health service should work together strategically to ensure that life, day-to-day living, is bearable for the citizens of that area. And the problem at the moment is that assessments are extremely backlogged up. There's about half a million people in this country who are due an assessment, which they've already asked for, but the council hasn't had the time to do one yet. And that's before you start thinking about the problem that people are due an annual review. And for maybe, uh, say, a half of those people, 
The review leads to a change in a care plan, which in itself starts the whole process beginning again, um, another proportionate reassessment. So there's all sorts of people who understand that councils are struggling, but don't know how the law and legal principle actually helps plug this gap. There is, for instance, a legal right to self-assessment. That doesn't mean that you can just sign off your own um, mandate, as it were, for public money to do whatever you think will sort your life out. It's in fact a supported self-assessment, but it gives you the chance to crack on with providing the information about your difficulties across a range of 10 domains and how they are impacting on you. There is a right to self-assessment for carers and for people who wish to be service users. In the latter case, uh, for people who have got sufficient mental capacity to um, engage with that process. So it's um, a strong legal right, and it means that if there is a delay in your area, it needs to stop you getting on with doing it. Another thing you can do is ask for a council's decision as to whether it couldn't or shouldn't delegate the assessment to an outside organisation. It's perfectly legal for a local authority to uh, delegate an assessment to a provider organisation, although there are some ethical reasons why they might not be willing to, also to any outside organisation offering to do Care Act assessments, usually through social workers who have um, had enough of working for local authorities, um, wanted to band together and create a new form of company to be doing that work. But there is absolutely no reason why a council shouldn't delegate. And if it doesn't have enough staff to do its own workload, there's a good reason for it delegating to an outside organisation. In the 1970 Local Authority and Social Services Act, there is still an extant legal provision saying that local authorities must ensure that they secure sufficient staff for the discharge of any adult social services functions. So if there is a waiting list which is beyond the pale, it's almost evidence in itself that the council is in breach of that duty. And that is a good way of putting pressure on a council to get on with it. You can also, if your uh, you or your loved one is in hospital, you can also demand to know in the hospital ward who it is who's actually arranging the post-discharge care. Is it the NHS? Or is it the local authority in your particular area? The special reason for doing that is that you can't you can't know what legal framework to be pushing for a timely assessment under unless you know which entity it is that is regarding itself responsible for your next setting in which care is to be received. And if you are um, aggravated about not being able to get a transition assessment for, say, your 16-year-old or your 17-year-old who is coming up to transitioning to adult services, 
there's one really important thing that might um, allay your concerns. And that is that the law is that the services that have been provided through children's services to a disabled child must carry on unless and until an adult's assessment is done. So even if your child reaches 18, there is no justification for the services simply stopping. And we hope that that is good to know. So these remedies are the kinds of things that we advise people about in triage. We ask probing questions about what has happened to establish where things have gone wrong and provide forms of words for people to ask what they should be entitled to. If there's a clear legal wrong, we can write to the council to highlight this. So we'd recommend that you look at the Care Act Statutory Guidance on Assessment, Section 6, which gives lots of pointers about what should happen. And we have a question and answer function on our website. So you can ask your Care Act question and we will give the best answer we can. And if you subscribe to Cascada uh, Roundup, then you'll see um, in each roundup that there's Cascada Coups, where it, we explain some of the ways in which we've been successful in trying to sort out some of these issues. Um, and there was an example recently where one of our referrers let us know that the um, councils agreed to backdate a direct payment from last summer. So a really significant backdating of a care package um, and that was because the council acknowledged, acknowledged and apologised for gaps, gaps between what should have happened and what actually did happen um, and those included delays to undertaking a reassessment, not providing a written assessment and then real delays in setting up an agreed direct payment um, and also lack of clarity about whether a carer's assessment had been done or should be done or what or hadn't been done. So by pointing out those gaps, um, and in that case, writing to the monitoring officer about them, we actually managed to achieve the local authority recognising them and making um, taking action to, to close that gap. Um, the other thing that um, we put into the roundup is summaries of local government and social care ombudsman reports, um, along with legal points. And we also have a database on our website where you can have a look at those. And they're really useful for highlighting the kind of legal rights and duties that there are and also the sorts of issues where the um, the ombudsman kind of calls out councils and finds fault um, and you can use that as evidence to show that if a council is acting in a similar kind of way then an ombudsman would find fault and act to remedy situations so the council really needs to sort them out. So a couple of examples of uh, recent ombudsman reports about assessment gaps there was one from North Lincolnshire Council where the ombudsman had looked into a delay in the council carrying out an assessment and setting up a care package and found that it took 10 months, during which time the person was in a care home. And so the ombudsman found this to be unreasonable delay and actually said that no more than four months to undertake this would be reasonable. The ombudsman has said that the council should apologise and make a payment for the distress and the time and trouble. Um, we highlighted in our write-up of this report that councils need to be really thoughtful about the impact of time being taken on the individual. Also, if you are waiting, the, um, the onus, the emphasis would be on highlighting the impact on your well-being of any delay. And there was another example at a recent ombudsman report around Medway Council taking five months to complete a needs assessment. And again, the ombudsman found this to be a fault. In this situation, the carer had repeatedly told the council that she wasn't able to continue to support the adult, but the council hadn't offered an assessment because it believed that the situation would be resolved through some um, changing housing provision. 
the ombudsman again said that it was fault not to offer a carer's assessment and um, not to do the assessment more quickly and resolve things more quickly. And the recommendation was an apology um, and again, payment for distress and uncertainty. And we highlighted there that it's not automatically unlawful to hold a waiting list. Um, there will inevitably be people waiting for an assessment, but they do really need to be operated under public law principles and not informed by considerations that aren't legally relevant. And if, as in this case, somebody asks um, for an, urgently again for an assessment or raises an issue that, this, this is, that the urgency has increased, then councils absolutely have to have a clear process, a defensible process for responding to those um, that new information so that it can assure itself that it's making a defensible decision about prioritising. We hope that you get the picture that we're going to be offering ideas, solid ideas over the next few days about the other gaps that we mentioned. There was the gap in the number of people who are actually getting a proper care plan, the gap in terms of people who are not getting services commissioned for them or can't use their budget to find services, and then there's the gap uh, that exists for informal family carers all over the country in terms of um, a simple failure to ensure that they understand that they can stop when they want to. And every council will need at least to step up to identify what they were doing, which was covering eligible uh, needs in order to fill that gap. If we have time to... We've also thought that we should say something about the gap in statutory advocacy. We've just been asked this week by a council whether the service user's direct payment could be used to cover our own private Cascader Crusaders service, which is a form of private advocacy. And that's a first for us. And we're having a think about it. And I think that it probably indicates that there is an enormous shortage of statutory advocacy hours available to people who are legally entitled to them. And there's case law on that saying that without advocacy, the assessment or the care planning process wouldn't even be legal. And so we find it quite interesting to be drawn into shoring up the, the, the legitimacy and validity of people's statutory processes. So the walk will act in two ways to really help. Uh, firstly, it will raise money to enable us to carry on with this kind of work. And also the walk is an opportunity for us to be raising awareness about these gaps and how you can use the law to overcome them and empower yourself. Um, the other thing that we're doing this time round is holding some awards Yes, um, for the first time, instead of calling out poor practice, we've had a, a little bit of an aha moment and decided to shine a light on great practice, if we can identify some, by inviting people, anyone, that includes adult social care council staff, advocates, care providers, people who receive services or their families, their care staff or PAs, anyone to send us their examples of what they think is maybe the best in the business in five categories of document or link. Because we do want to celebrate evidence of Care Act compliance, well-structured documents, informative website pages and clear care and support policies, not just the grim side 
of um, disregard for the rule of law. So our categories are as follows. Any documentation that looks like a good assessment of needs form, whether or not it includes an eligibility decision and the space for reasons. Secondly, any document or website link as to information for family carers as to their rights under the Care Act to support services in their own name or to a budget in their own right. Thirdly, care plan documentation following um, up in terms of the structure of the care plan, not anybody's individual care plan, please. We're just interested to see whether some councils have taken account of what Section 25 and Section 26 of the Care Act say that that care plans should do. Fourthly, direct payment information policies or website pages about the pros and the cons of having a direct payment, being your own commissioner and letting the local authority off the hook for finding a service provider. And lastly, any policies or website pages about the council's disability related expenditure approach. We're thinking of revving up to have a bit of a campaign about DRE later in the year. So we're interested to see the best and the worst from all over the country. If we get more than five examples of any of these categories, we'll announce the winners on the day of the walk and confer what we like to call a Collaborating with Cascada Award. Um, And uh, I can only say I hope that we do get more than five examples. So that's today's podcast um, drawing to an end. And we very much hope that you've got some messages from this that will stick with you. So over to Sarah for that. Thanks, Belinda. Yes. So just as we're plugging away at the gap, let's none of us give up. We need to keep asking for legal entitlements and exposing the difference between what should happen and what does happen. If you don't already, find and follow Cascader on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and visit our website to get access to the information that we have on there. Thank you. And thank you very much for listening. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed Care Act Conversations with Cascader. If you or someone you know needs expert advice on a social care legal problem, please visit our website cascada.org.uk to find out what help we could offer. Please donate to our work via the big yellow button on our website or at cascada.org.uk forward slash donate. Thank you for listening.